Okay, Bruce, uh, you know how Batman is always so tough on crime? He sure is, son, and I'll tell you a little secret. I actually know Batman. <laughs> okay, well, can you tell him to cool it down in our neighborhoods? Uh, cool it down? What do you mean? Somebody's got to do something about him. I mean, he broke my best friend's jaw in two places, and all he did was steal a TV. That's excessive. <laughs> it's okay, ma'am. Listen, Malik, stealing is a crime, and Batman doesn't take crime lightly. Obviously, because then he ziplined him to the top of a building and then left him hanging for, like, 30 minutes, 30 stories up by a gargoyle, by his underwear. Uh, well, Batman fights crime wherever he sees it. Just seems like he's in our neighborhood all the time. <laughs> we are talking about Batman? Yeah, man. Somebody got to do something about him. That's what I'm saying. You know he broke my jaw in three places just for littering. For real? See, I told you. Yeah, he did that backhand thing and like to knock all my damn teeth out. All right, well, there's a lot of other families that would like to talk to me now. Then he picked my ass up in that zip line thing, sent me flying like 30 stories up on a gargoyle, and just left me there hanging by my drawers. Why does he always leave brothers dangling from the gargoyle? It's weird. That's my whole point. Uh, look, crime happens really fast. I'm sure Batman has to make a lot of split-second judgment calls. Who y'all talking about, Batman? Yeah. Somebody got to do something about him, man. Man, my car stalled out in the middle of the road one night, and he came out of nowhere, broke all my damn windows. Snatched me out the car and threw me in the side of a Best Buy. Did your jaw break? Oh, for sure, immediately. My name's Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and this is a special show. I am alone right now. There's no Wayne, no Hannah, no Katya. I'm very, very sad. Actually, as I record this, I am in my hotel room at PCAACA, where this week, for us, but in the past for you, you know how I feel about weird time travel podcasting. We have been speaking on the papers that we'd been talking about the last couple of weeks on this show, and you'll hear more about that on next week's show. But for this week's show, since it is conference season, I attended a special academic conference all devoted to Batman. It was on Batman in pop culture. And I went there with friend of the show, Danny Anderson, host of the Sectarian Review, and my new friend, Coyle Neal who is the host of the City of Man podcast, and we did a joint show. We did a roundtable at the Batman conference where we talked about Batman and race. We called our panel the unbearable whiteness of being Batman, or at least that was what we started to call it, and we'll talk about that a little bit on the show. So what you're about to hear is you're about to hear a joint panel between our three shows. That will be this show this week and also the Sectarian Review and also the City of Man podcast as we sort of deconstruct the ways that Batman uses race in various iterations of the Batman mythos, be it in the comic books or in the movies. This is the kind of thing that we do at academic conferences. This is the kind of thing that this show was very much based on. So we just thought we'd kind of give you an idea of what it's like to be at an academic roundtable. So you'll hear a live audience where people interact with us and ask us questions. And we sort of try to you know work things out on what I think is an interesting topic. So... I will be back at the end of the episode to wrap things up. This roundtable is Anderson from Mount Aloysius College, Neil Coyle from Southwest Baptist University, and Christopher Matt Maverick from Duquesne University. Um, Thank you. <laughs> Just the order we should follow then. Okay, sure. <laughs> so I should talk first. Okay. Um, well, welcome everybody to this panel. Um, uh, Coil Neal. <laughs> they have his name backwards in the, uh, uh, the, panel, in the uh, program and on his tag, uh, which is funny. But um, so, yeah, this panel uh, was originally called. 
I think we proposed it as the unbearable whiteness of being Batman. Yes, which was <laughs> obnoxiously punny, and we're better off that they just put Batman in whiteness. But I think it comes out of a, um, a question about a kind of reticence um, about this about the issue of race uh, in Batman, and I'm particularly um, mostly conversant with the cinema, and I know Mav is like a super expert um, on the, on the comics themselves, and Coyle is actually the one here. who came up with the idea. <laughs> This thing. And and so he's more than just here. So um, just to let you know, we are recording this. We each, all three, do separate podcasts. Um, and so um, if you do want to ask a question, um, feel free to ask a question. But let us know if you don't want that recorded for the show, and we'll figure a way to cut it out. Um, but my yeah, my name is Danny Anderson. Um, I teach English at Mount Aloysius College, and I do a podcast called the Sectarian Review Podcast, and uh, we look at a number of things, high culture, pop culture, religion, politics, always somewhere in that X, but uh, that's kind of what we do. And I'll let Mav introduce himself. Oh, we're going out of order. Okay. Well, oh, oh, is that the, oh, I'll let Neil, I, I don't care. I'll let Neil Coyle go next then. Um, yeah, uh, Neil, hi. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Uh, uh, yeah, my, my name is Coyle Neil. Uh, I teach government uh, at Southwest Baptist University uh, in Bolivar, Missouri. Uh, and I'm the host of a podcast called the City of Man podcast, uh, which is part of the same network as a sectarian review. Uh, uh, where uh, we talk about issues uh, and uh, big ideas and so on, uh, all of the sorts of things you would expect a political podcast to talk about, and a few that you wouldn't expect it to talk about, I suppose. Uh, and uh, kind of our shtick is we have a conservative and a liberal on, and I don't know that there's anything else that sets us apart from any other politics podcast out there, uh, uh, but I don't listen to my own podcast, so I couldn't tell you that. My name is Chris Maverick, you can call me Mav, and I teach English, I'm a PhD student, uh, uh, I'm a year PhD student at Duquesne University. I'm ABD, where I do a lot of work with comics and superheroes, but also all pop culture from professional wrestling to uh, television to music. I was a pro wrestler for a while. True story. Um, and I am the host of the Vox Popcast, www.voxpopcast.com, which is my show where the idea of that one was why don't we do an academic roundtable every week with a mixture of academics like us and regular people who are fans of whatever topic we happen to be talking about that week. Uh, lately, it's been a lot of academic stuff because it's conference season and everybody on the show was getting ready for papers that were coming up. But uh, we've we've had things on action movies. We've had things on politics, on video games, on monster movies was one of my favorite episodes. And uh, it's just whatever whatever we come up with. We have academic conversations with regular people and academics wherein I drink beer the entire time. So it's going to be very interesting doing this show sober today. Um, and also I've been instructed that I'm not to swear because I'm not allowed to on their shows, but, but there's um, our show is not necessarily child friendly. It's an academic conference where you're allowed to curse. <laughs> it's not my choice. It's just sort of the network we're a part of is the Christian humanist radio network. And I have to go back oh. and cut out these things. And so and um, I, I am not lots of violence network. on the network. Just no, <laughs> lots of violence, lots of every other vice, but yeah. Um, so um, let me just kind of get us started. And the way we, uh, this is arranged as a round table. So be very quickly prepared to feedback, uh, to give us feedback here. We um, are each going to take a, just a couple of minutes to kind of share some thoughts on this issue. Um, Coyle, I know you're going to be talking about a particular um, version of Batman, this, uh, this 40 serial, um, which is sort of overtly racist, right? So that gives us something um, <laughs> concrete yeah. to talk about here. Um, but I, uh, then we'll just sort of take five minutes and kind of share out some initial thoughts, uh, jot down any ideas and feel free to push back. I know that my comments are a little bit unformed actually. And I have more, I think, questions than answers, but um, to the question, should I go first? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So um, to, to the question of um, the kind of seeming like whiteness and particularly the cinematic um, universe of Batman, um, there's very few exceptions to this rule. Um, I was just sort of thinking about this in terms of um, uh, kind of radical politics, I suppose. And so um, 
initially I was thinking of um, Umberto Eco's Myth of Superman as a way to sort of explain the kind of lack of radical action in, uh, and also Batman. And I know this is one of our earlier keynote speakers had brought that up and I was really happy. Um, at one point near the end of that essay, Echo says, each of these heroes is gifted with such powers that he could actually take over the government, defeat the army, or alter the e equilibrium of planetary politics. And, and later on, um, he says, instead, Superman carries on his activity at the level of the small community where he lives. Um, and I think this kind of critique is meant to be uh, more applied to superheroes in general. Uh, Superman was kind of emblematic of that. And um, so my thinking on that is um, race is certainly part of kind of a radical um, political critique. And other people who know Batman's comics much more than I do even, um, they've already made the comment this weekend about Batman fighting to support the status quo, right? There, He's uh, basically, uh, there's a way to read him as a millionaire protecting his own interests, right? And all the kind of activity he does doesn't actually change the system, um, but rather uh, rather protects the material conditions that give him the privilege of being a, mil a billionaire. Um, and so applying this to race, and here's where I, I'm probably, I haven't fully fleshed this out, so I would appreciate any help. Um, I've recently been reading Assad Hader's book, uh, Mistaken Identity, about race and class in the age of Trump is the subtitle of that. And uh, the way he kind of narrates this, and it's sort of a critique of liberal identity politics, and he's sort of a, a leftist writing here. Um, his critique is that they've taken um, a political stance that was at one time uh, quite revolutionary. Um, and he goes back to the um, the Kambahi River Collective, which were, I think, a group of um, black lesbians who leveraged their um, identity, their personal kind of identities, racial and sexual identities, um, as a means towards a collective political action. And then he sort of looks at people like Huey Newton and Black Panthers as taking up that kind of tradition and sort of narrates a switch in which liberalism, um, and this is again one of those places you have to kind of disentangle the left and liberals uh, for the sake of Hader's book here. The left critiques liberals as settling on uh, identity as the end of politics and not as a means towards collective radical action, right? And so mainly his book um, is a, an, an elaborate um, explanation of that process. And how I'm thinking about this may uh, work with Batman is that Batman, in the way that he is also kind of um, blind to his class issues or perhaps purposefully blind to those class issues as a, as a way to maintain his um, status quo, um, he also uh, is blind to the race issue, or at least his, his universe is blind to the race issue. And my thinking is it almost it's using haters paradigm, except he's not privileging race. He's sort of eliminating race as a potential for collective action. So by cutting that out of the narrative, that's one more way which helps Batman sort of support the, the system as it is for that supports his class. Um, and so in some ways, Batman presents the same uh, problem uh, as the kind of liberal tech technocrat for uh, folks like Hater. Uh, and so uh, I, I promised to give myself only five minutes to talk about this. Um, one thing I did want to kind of talk about as a, a potential exception, the, the Superman Red Sun um, comic, which Chris and I talked about on my show once actually, uh, is an interesting version of Batman. And Coils are conservative, and I had to do this just to see if he'll have a heart attack. But I have the Superman... <laughs> hammer and sickle t-shirt on here uh, like underneath there just to see if Quill I'm a Green Lantern he, he fan, seems so. fine <laughs> he seems fine um, but that that vision of Batman does kind of um step up for radical change in that world, right? Um, but again, it would be in support of a capitalist paradigm. <laughs> it was just the paradox of that. But in, but the more important point I want to make there, that Batman ends up dying for the cause, right? And to go back to Echo's um, point about Superman and other superheroes never instituting any kind of radical structural change is because that would sort of be entering onto a timeline in which they disappear and die, right? Um, so you kind of create these loops in which things happen but don't move history forward at all. Um, and so I think that the lack of race um, is sort of a resistance to a broader um, reticence about changing the systems that 
support millionaire, the millionaire class, the billionaire class in Wayne's Point. So, um, I'll, before anybody takes pictures of me and gets me fired, I'll, show, I'll cover this. Back <laughs> back. So, um, and then uh, I'll let, uh, I guess, Chris, do you want to go? I can next? go, yeah. Okay. Uh, because my, I mean, you have a very specific thing you want to talk yeah, about. So I'm, I'll, I'm yeah. writing a response to you too, so please. <laughs> yeah, all right, no problem. Um, yeah, so for me, one of the things that I think that is interesting, and I pick up right where Danny left off, about Batman as a as a character type, and I want to go back to the very beginning of Batman Detective Twenty Seven through let's say about the let's say the first 13, 12, 13 issues, which nobody reads, but, but I, yes, I'm aware that Josh has because from earlier in the, from earlier in this conference. But if you go back and look at and look at them, and I taught them in a class recently. I taught a, I taught a class recently called Sex Violence in Comics, where we talked about the ways that Batman introduces or well the comics but we read those comics introduced gender and there was a curious thing that some of my students noticed which was they immediately picked up on the fact that in the very first appearance of Batman in Detective Comics number 27 something that everyone at this particular conference is going to know there are zero women and I mean zero women there is not an incidental woman drawn in the background Gotham City is a city composed entirely of men, specifically entirely of white men. There are and men. There are no children. There are no women. It is all is they are incidentally white male characters and even, even as background characters. And that continues in the next several issues. The only time anybody is not a white male is when they have a very specific or a white middle-aged male is when they have a very specific reason not to be. So if you need a female to be rescued, then the character can be female. If you need a villain to be othered, then the villain can be of some race other than white. Uh, 28 introduces the character of Jihad, who is, do they call him a Cossack or he, he's an Indian. Um, and he is, I'm going to say pink, but purplish. It is very ethnically. I was looking for a picture and I couldn't pull one. Um, it is very ethnically problematic and he wanders around <laughs> With what they believe to be a traditional head garb, but he almost looks like a it's what you would do if you were trying to create a genie character in the in in the 1930s and 40s. He is extremely problematically drawn. And this is true of every character that will happen after that, of the Asian characters, of the they are continuously othered. And I'm using that in the Edward Said version of of what racial otherness comes on comes from. And this, this brought to mind for me, a conversation that I had on a blog posting that I made a couple of years ago, uh, several, I don't know how, but I wrote a thing several years back where I was, I'm um, doing, <clears throat> I work with a lot of popular culture and I was doing an investigation of the, um, the website Pornhub. They have Pornhub, believe it or not, has great metadata. And they, they, um, what they do, you don't have to actually watch porn up. It doesn't matter. They release, they release their stats. Their stats are fascinating. And they, they release their stats with here are by genre type, what, you know, what is most searched for and by state. And one of the, um, one of the most, I mean, and there's very obvious things like you'll see bondage, you'll see lesbian, you'll see, you know, you'll see, but then the top racial category was Asian followed by Oriental. And then later you might see black or white or, you know, but, or Hispanic, but like, but I was looking for races to see what, you know, to see what people search for and Asians number one and then Orientals number two. So I wrote this thing where I was talking about fetishizing Orientalism, Orientalism. And a non-academic friend of mine said, you shouldn't use that term. And I was like, what term? He says, Oriental. And I was like, well, I'm, I, I'm not using it. He's like, well, people are Asian. And, and I was like, yes, I understand that. But do you not know what the word means? And it never occurred to me that non-academics don't use the word Orientalism. But 
he didn't, he was like, well, Orientals are things and Asians are people. And I was like, I understand. And what we're specifically talking about is using people as objects, which is why we use the term that way. And that's when I really started to understand sort of the, now my friend um, is a Korean guy who was making this complaint, by the way. So, so it was, it became clear to me at that point of what we do academically is also sort of an odd othering in a sense by using that term. So, uh, and now we use it intentionally because we're talking to the idea of creating, of using people as objects. That's why Saeed picked the word that he did. So I wanted to fast forward through there because the first depiction of incidental race that I could find when I was looking through the history of Batman, I was speaking with this coil earlier, is Eartha Kitt as Catwoman in 1966 when she just sort of incidentally replaced um, Julie Newmar as Catwoman on the television series because Julie Newmar was busy. Every other time up until then, in, um, any character that is not white by default is is otherized because of their race. Catwoman was a villain, but she was allowed to be black in and of herself, at least comically on television um, in being Eartha Kitt. And that, that continues with the um, introduction of Billy D. Williams as um, Harvey Dent in the first Batman film, 1989. So I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, again, I, I also am not a Batman expert. And, uh, if, if I take nothing else away from this conference, it's that there is a ton of Batman stuff out there. Uh, and uh, no one person I, I'm sure can ever consume it all, but it's it's all out there. Uh, so uh, in preparation for this, uh, I binge watched the, uh, the 1943's, uh, 1943 Batman serial. Uh, I do not recommend this, uh, but uh, I, I did it. Uh, and it, it's it's got basically, if you haven't seen it, all of the stuff you would expect, the uh, something made in the 1940s with a Japanese character as the villain to have uh, all of sort of the standard anti-Japanese stereotypes, uh, which is uh, which is uh, interesting given that they, uh, they even explicitly in the first episode uh, highlight the fact that the, and this is a direct quote, the wise government policy uh, has cleared out all of the Japanese people from, uh, from little Tokyo uh, in, uh, in, in uh, Los Angeles, I, I think is where it's yeah. supposed to be. Uh, or Go- I mean, it's, it's Gotham, Gotham, but, it, but it's, yeah. Of course, if you're living in 19, uh, 1943, you know the law says, you know, 10 miles from the Pacific Ocean. So uh, uh, it's going to be somewhere on the West Coast. Uh, uh, literally, the only Japanese person in town is the villain, this, uh, this Prince, oh, we don't have thing, uh, Prince Daka, right? Uh, so, uh, uh, which, of course, you, you also have the... Uh, the, the background problem, uh, the the, uh, the the behind the scenes problem of there are also no Japanese people working in Hollywood uh, because by law they can't be because they're not allowed to be within ten miles again of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, so uh, uh, again, this is uh, this is kind of a, a problem on on two levels. Uh, but in terms of the narrative. Uh, it's a, a difficult problem that the screenwriters, uh, I mean, they handle as well as I suppose any serial writer can handle uh, because uh, uh, Daka, the, the villain, can't just be the stereotype. Uh, otherwise, there would be no serious conflict. Uh, if he isn't at least the equal of Batman uh, and maybe even ideal, ideally the uh, the superior in some ways of Batman, you're not going to get 15, 15 minute episodes out of it. Uh, Batman would just catch him and that would be the end. Uh, so there, there's sort of a, a leveling of Batman and the, uh, the, the Japanese villain. Uh, or again, the, uh, uh, the the not really Japanese villain, as you can you can tell in the picture there. Uh, so Batman becomes significantly less competent, and uh, in the fifteen episodes, Batman does not win a single fist fight uh, <laughs> anywhere in all in, in all of them. I, I, and that's not an exaggeration; he doesn't win any fights in the in the episode uh, unless he is assisted by at least two other people. Uh, so Robin alone is not enough to do it. Uh, uh, and at the end, sorry, spoiler alert: uh, at the end, the Batman doesn't even kill the villain. Uh, it's Alfred Pennyworth who does it accidentally. So uh, again, it's... Uh, Go Alfred. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Batman is really brought down and, and of course Daka is, is elevated. Uh, he, he has gadgets. He has complicated plans. Uh, he has a network of allies. Uh, he has lots and lots of henchmen, which I suppose isn't that unusual. Uh, uh, Batman, again, he, he has himself and Robin who really isn't a whole lot of help along the way. Uh, even more than that, the, the two of them are, are paralleled in, in other ways. So they're, they're both government agents. Uh, Batman is an agent of the government. Uh, 
uh, Daka is an agent, of course, of Imperial Japan. Uh, they both live behind facades uh, that, that kind of mask the reality. Uh, the, the facade that Daka hides behind is is this uh, chamber of horrors showing how terrible the the, the, the cruel Japanese are. Uh, and it is, uh, I'm not like sugarcoating that. That's exactly what that is. Uh, to, to get to his lair, you have to ride a little trolley through all of these, you know, wax figures of Japanese people doing awful things. Uh, and there's a, there's a front man in, in front of the building shouting about how we're doing this for America. Uh, and this is what's going to happen to all of us. And that's why this building is even open in the first place. And you get to the very bottom and there's a cave where, where uh, uh, Daka holds his, his secret meetings. Uh, uh, Batman, of course, has exactly the same thing, right? There's, there's, I mean, not exactly the same thing, but you have Wayne Manor uh, that's on top of a cave, uh, right? Uh, the, the facade of uh, kind of the affluent American lifestyle uh, covering over the reality of what's what's going on underneath. Uh, both of them even brand criminals. Uh, so the uh, the Christopher Nolan movie actually, does, or not the Christopher Nolan movie, uh, the uh, the Batman versus Superman movie does not invent that. Uh, it goes all the way back to the 1943 when he captures someone, he, he stamps them on the forehead before he turns them over to the police, so the police will know who it's from. Uh, DACA also brands criminals, although of course they're they're his allies. Uh, and the, the way you get into the layer is is showing the brand. Uh, so again, lots lots of interesting things going on. Uh, it, it, it is all of as, as Danny said, it is sort of awfully racist uh, even for the time. Uh, but it's not just that, and and I think it's probably mostly for screenwriting purposes again because you you got to get fifteen episodes out of it. Uh, but there there does end up being a little more complexity, which isn't to say that I, I think it's great. It's it's not a great series. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no one would watch this for fun today, only for an academic conference. But uh, uh, anyway, that's that's all I've got to say. Um, I mean, that does also bring up the the whole sort of whitewashing kind of issue um, that you see even with um, Batman Begins with Liam Neeson, yeah, you know, being right. cast. And so this is almost predicts that as well. Um, and so yeah, I know we talked a little bit. Yeah, about yeah, that I had uh, Liam Neeson is it, when Batman Begins came out. It was almost it was fascinating because they didn't. Oh, does anybody remember what is his official name in the movie? Roz. 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 Yeah, yeah. And they denied because people were like, "Oh, no, 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 no. He's not Rachel Gold. He's he. What was it? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. And they were, um, and they denied it. When people were like, "Oh, well, he's clearly Rachel Gold." And he's like, no, no, he's not. No, nope. And then you watch the movie and it's like 20 minutes in. I am racial. Of course you are. Yeah, <laughs> of course you're racial. Because up until that point, and actually even since then, Rachel Ghoul, who is auspiciously, auspiciously Arabic generically, is almost always drawn as just a white guy. There are, or um, he's very Caucasian. He is usually cast as Caucasian in whether in, he's an Arrow, the television series, or Gotham. Very rarely do they put any ethnicity into it, which partially, I guess, in the 21st century is to sort of protect them from racial stereotype problems because race is nothing but. <laughs> but stereotype, but also it's problematic in that they, I don't think they really knew what else to do back when he was invented. And then Liam comes in and he does, he's actually, I think he's really good in the role, but he does that in a way that is sort of, how do I not problematize further something that was problematically generated because to do it's the, it's the Iron Man three problem, right? Yeah. Like, it, like <laughs> to make the man, what comic book fans wanted it to be, which is the classic Mandarin, would be a movie that you cannot produce in Hollywood today. Right. So I've heard similar things about the Doctor Strange movie with yes. where uh, uh, I mean, the director basically came out and said, look, someone was going to be unhappy no matter what I did. Yeah. And so, yeah. And it's like if you when people were like, oh, well, we want the Asian, the ancient one. He, we we want Asian representation. It's like, go back and read those comics. You not this one. You don't want that. Um, you might want a more positive version, which is what they did with Wong. They turned him into a better character than he classically is but the ancient one from those early strange tales and also by the way dr strange was vaguely asian-ish in those early books you don't want what they were trying to do Ditko had problems and um just to i mean i guess be fair and to complicate it a little bit i know that in, in your presentation yesterday i had asked you about the casting of jada pinkett uh, smith in gotham right and i think that it, um you gave a really great answer about 
needing to insert a character that no one knew what would happen to them. Right. Um, but there was also a great opportunity there to kind of diversify and, um, um, the world of Batman, um, a little bit there, um, which incidentally all the way, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please. I, I have a question for you, but I don't want oh. to interrupt your thought. Um, one kind of side thought that just came to me while Mav was talking is I kind of also feel like cinematically, Gotham always looks like it's 1940. Um, and so I think there's like a heavy it's weird. film noir influence about the invention of that city. And I wonder if the racial politics of 1940, the, the representational politics of 1940, uh, a film noir in general, get imported with the architecture somehow. And it's, it's somehow unintentional. Mm -hmm. It's why we don't see um, people of color. I mean, in real 1940, black people existed, I assure you. But not, but, in, movies. But not in movies. But, yeah. <laughs> Well, they did, and, and there were some ex uh, exceptions to that in film. Yeah, noir. but you, but again, you didn't yeah. want to be the characters that were exceptions. So. <laughs> and film noir was like surprisingly progressive in many ways, yeah. right? Um, but uh, but yeah, um, I'm thinking back to all those Humphrey Bogart movies, and you, know, you have Sam, I guess, in, in Casablanca, right? But, um, but, but by yeah. the way, it's not bad. Sam is a, Sam no, is yeah. a relatively for 1940s film. Yeah. Sam is an extremely progressive character. Absolutely, yeah. He, he can talk back. He says "boss." I mean, he's clearly an underling, yeah. but he's <laughs> uh, way more equal than <laughs> Mammy in every other film. True. Also, not set in America, though, either. That's true, too. Yeah. Sort of yeah. get around that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I actually had a, a question about the, the thing you brought up, which uh, ties in a question that I, I wanted to ask in a previous panel. And I, uh, uh, so uh, I, 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 I think this argument about you know, Batman is upholding the capitalist state in the previous panel are, are sort of racial structures in this panel. And I, my question is, look, if, if we take that idea and let's apply it to any, basically any Batman comic book or any, let's, let's apply it to Batman Begins, right? Let's say that Batman has, has read this book and Ra's al Ghul rolls into town and says, I'm going to burn down <laughs> Gotham City. Batman sure. says, you know what? I, I read this, uh, this book called Mistaken Identity. If I save this city, I am just upholding the existing racial structure. Mm -hmm. So the practical application of this would then be what? Let the city burn? Is that what you're asking? Yes, I mean, it, it does sound sort of like, or, or again, if, if it's capitalism that we're, we're, you know, by saving the city, he's just protecting the existing uh, capitalist power. So yeah, he's also protecting everyone who lives in the well, city. I, what I mean, I would say is Gotham's number one employer, he could, you know, pay everybody $20 an hour and so they wouldn't mm -hmm. live in poverty and, and create the conditions in which crime, you know, arises. So before Raj Ghul even shows up, you know, um, I think um, you could, he could have done something. Um, and I think that's kind of what, that's, that's, how I understand Echo's um, critique of the superhero in general, they have the power and where Superman can fly and melt things with his eyes and stuff. But um, Batman has the economic power to structurally change his world. Right? He does. And, and recent comics have sort of tried to deal with that. Not primarily, but there are, there are in the last five or six years, it is acknowledged that Bruce Wayne has many, many charitable foundations that do a lot of good because if you, but if you look at 80 years of Batman as a whole, Batman just, I mean, Say what you will about murder of his parents, blah, 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 uh, you know, justice. Bruce just likes to beat people up. I mean, he, he enjoys it because otherwise um, there's there's a line in. I was talking about there's a line in the Defenders television show that we were that we were talking about the other day where where Luke Cage confronts Danny Rand and says, why are you doing this? And Danny's like, I'm fighting for justice. I'm the immortal iron. And Luke's like, you're rich. Just go fix the problem. You've got better power. He looks like I've got to punch people. I don't have any other options. Just go and shut the drug trade down. You, you're rich. And Danny goes, oh, yeah. And then he tries to do that. It doesn't work. But yeah, Bruce, it doesn't work. but Bruce, no, but, <laughs> well, but Bruce kind of can because you, you, you really, so I, I, when we were planning this panel, I, I sent them, if you've never seen it, uh, pull up on YouTube, the, um, there's a Saturday night live skit of, <laughs> of Batman or Bruce Wayne's Thanksgiving, um, charity event from this last year where he just kind of goes and he's Bruce Wayne and he invites a lot of underprivileged children and their parents to the, to Wayne Manor for a big Thanksgiving dinner. And while they're all hanging out, they all start talking, we've got to do something about Batman. <laughs> Why is Batman always in our neighborhood? You know, like my, my friend was just Jay 
jaywalking and Batman beat him up and hung him from a gargoyle by his underwear. <laughs> and it's like, did he break his jaw? For sure. <laughs> like, and Bruce just likes to beat people up. That's part of it. Whereas Clark Kent in an early in early Superman comics, if you re- read those, Clark is very Marxist in the beginning. Bruce is very much protecting the capitalist system. It's hegemonic masculinity. As we said he doesn't want progression. He's doing justice, but a very specific kind of justice in a very early action comics comic. Superman knocks down the city to force the government to re he, he basically destroys all the bad parts of the city, knocks down all the projects, not because he hates poor people, but because he wants to force the government to rebuild them because he knows the new buildings will be better. Usually as a conservative, I, I do have to say because government built housing is always superior. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of flaws in the, in the, in the, in the logic of, well, yeah, forties. It was like, 40s. it's like 39. And it's like, his assumption was like, Oh, I'll just knock down all the buildings. They'll build new ones. It will be fine. And of course the same price. <laughs> which it, it doesn't it doesn't work like like it is a very simplistic and but remember this is being written by two guys who grew up in the projects in Cleveland who are this is their first real job seemed like a good idea at, their, at the time was who Siegel and Schuster were so it was a very simplistic Marxist Marxist view but they tried yeah and, and I it, guess <laughs> it, it feels and again I'm so you guys are you guys are the Batman experts you can you can tell me I'm wrong but based on the the movies I've seen uh, and and some of the comic books I've read. The, the issue is we are we are kind of reading into it what Bruce Wayne is or is not paying his you know employees in, in Wayne Tech or, or whatever it's called. Yeah, sure. Right? It, it may be that he is you know genuinely uh, you know refusing to hire minorities or he is genuinely <laughs> you know for the purpose of this panel. Well, Lucius Fox is Lucius Fox is a common character. He's one of the rare exceptions where he's the black guy that works for Bruce. Right, and and, and well, it works for Bruce manages his company. It, depending on what depending on what era of the comics you are, yeah. Right. So it, it, I mean, they're comics about Batman going out and beating out. Like that's what the comic is about. Yeah. It's not about the socioeconomic conditions of the people that Bruce hires or doesn't hire. Because they want people to read it who aren't me. Yes. Right. Well, because right, I would right. totally read that book. Ooh, right. <laughs> board meetings. Yes, I'm, not, I'm in. <laughs> I'm weird. <laughs> yeah, right, right. yeah, so uh, just sort of my point is, like, we don't we don't have that information. So what we do is we we read into it what we want to read into it. So as the conservative, I didn't say, yeah, that he's, he's probably paying his employees whatever the work they're doing is worth. Uh, and some people that'll be less and some people will be more. And again, as, as uh, presumably as, as if you're on the left, you're going to want to have a different reading of that. And all of that's fine. I don't know that any of us actually have the text on our side in that because what we see Batman doing is punching, the punching people. Yeah. Yeah. Usually bad people. Mm. <laughs> There's some moral ambiguity. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and just one last thing though. Um, in the last panel, James McGrath, who's gone, um, he quoted Nietzsche um, about whoever lives for the sake of combating an enemy has an interest in that enemy staying alive, right? I think that that's one of the ways in which Batman's activities over time um, are not meant to actually fix the problem that causes the crime in the beginning, right? It's it's meant to perpetuate the system that causes the crime so that he can then enact his personal revenge, um, his sort of individual uh, kind of interest in exercising his demons in perpetuity, um, um, as, as Nietzsche would say, eternal recurrence, right? Uh, and so, um, um, I don't know what I said that for, but that, that has something <laughs> to do with this. Um, so, you guys want to open up for questions? Yeah, I, I would love that. So, that would be awesome. yeah, yeah. Um, just start in front. Well, uh, I did a presentation yesterday on kind of just how the Batman comics interface with diversity, whether it's social, whether it's moral, whether it's racial. And um, I could have said a lot more in this part of time, but I think the common denominator in generally is the needs and superhero genre. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of like what the writers I quoted tend to always discuss because, it, you know, the needs of the superhero genre rely on, you know, uh, conflict between a hero and a villain result by violence. And it does definitely become uh, problematic when you're involving, like, economic class, like, you know, millionaires and stuff. Uh, I know that, like, there are Batman comics that that uh, generally uh, assign the problems gotten to, like, the mentally ill. Mm-hmm. It's not just the sense of, like, him finding somebody to fight, but, like, people who are like him who are, like, you know, arguably crazy. But generally, I think that... Um, 
once you arrive at the fact that you know he had there are you know the way that they treat minorities and the way that like they depicted and the needs of Bruce Wayne all kind of stuff, I you kind of go back. I go back to like the creators and where the creators interested in. And you have uh, writers like uh, Wayne McDuffie or Alex Simmons who generally are aware of the of the problems in the the, the genre. And then by that point, is you usually meet editors that that kind of say, okay, well, sooner or later we can't keep on talking about this. We have to move on to a, 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 a villain hero conflict, and certain minority characters get tossed away, or certain issues get failed to resolve, and the status quo continues. So I think um, what you guys are all talking about, like you know, pretty quickly arrives at it's not so much. How do we solve Batman? How do we solve the superhero genre? Because you can see this in any superhero show, any superhero movie. It's all about the needs of the genre and how that genre is racialized to the needs of the the people creating the genre. I totally agree with that. Uh, Mav was on my show once talking about Miracle Man. And because I'd asked him, because I was racking my brain, like, is it even possible to have a leftist superhero? I mean, does that even, would that even work in the genre, right? And I still can't see it working um, just because it's, subverts the, uh, mm-hmm. the form. So, um, someone's, totally yeah. That. Someone's panel yesterday. I don't even remember who is so apologies. Cause it's, but it's an argument I've made as well says, said that one of the, one of the tricks with superheroes is there's like, there's an illusion of progress. We can't actually solve problems because to do so would mean there's no next issue. That's Echo's point. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Echo, yeah. Echo absolutely makes that point in, um, in what is the Superman essay? What's it called? Myth of Superman. Myth of Superman. Yeah. And, and, but it, he needs to, they need, there's a constant, you know, the perpetual publication model means you constantly have to reset to the status quo and yet make it seem like good things are happening. But, you know, Batman has to, he has to be hegemonic because to make the world better means that you end up in Miracle Man. Miracle Man and the later issues essentially creates a utopia and it's a very different kind of storytelling. Go back and listen to that episode of Danny's show. It's, I mean, and if you can find it, read Miracle Man. It's brilliant <laughs> and unfinished. So you'll be like, <sighs> <at the end. laughs> um, let's go around the room this way. Um, I, I actually have not even a, a question or a, just something I wanted to um, expand on what you It was so really interesting. So we don't know, like what the last comment you just said, sometimes we don't know. And this is something I, I do with my students. Um, and I take a lot of this from the work by uh, Duncan Smith, uh, Power of Comics. And they talk about this idea of uh, synecdoche, closure, and this idea that, and I think you're, you're right. I mean, we bring a lot of the knowledge. Comics, they, they argue, is an active medium. I totally agree. We bring, we have to bring some meanings with us. And depending on our, politi- our politics, our gender, whatever, those meanings might be a little different. And it makes for a pretty cool uh, discussion. So, um, and, and they say, you know, the, the meaning ultimately lies with the reader. So I think you're, you're right. We don't know what Bruce pays his employees. We don't know some of these gaps. Uh, and depending on our politics or whatever, sometimes I, I didn't fill those in. So I, I wanted to explain that. I think it was really... Yeah, and, and just to, to step over and join Danny on the economic left for a minute, which is much easier for me. I'm, 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 I'm not really an economic conservative for the most part. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, the publishers, of course, want the narrative to be as open as possible to appeal to as many people as possible. So yeah, everyone, whether you're you know liberal or conservative or, or communist or, or, or a libertarian or whatever, uh, everyone wants to see the bad guy get checked in jail, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's something that we all want. And once you start filling in blanks, you start alienating people. So you have to leave that as open as possible, which yeah. maybe just says it is really all about the market. So maybe I've moved back away from that. <laughs> uh, uh, so that's a good point. <laughs> yes, sir. So I had two things. One, I thought, um, I'd, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on you know, the fact that we've got a character that's got an 80-year history. He's got so many different presentations, right, that when we try to talk about Batman in a unified way, if there's not a danger in us um, participating in a kind of essentialist reading of him, which I read as very akin to the way that white, white supremacists read the world, right, that we can reduce people down to these essentials and then create hierarchies, right? Um, but the other thing I, I, I'd like to get your thoughts on is something from um, Afrofuturism, right, that, that thinks about race as a technology instead of thinking of it as a kind of strict social contract. And maybe we can read Batman in his relationship to 
using technology as an allegory for his relationship to race. And that might be a different way of thinking about how Batman is racialized. So but that might feel like throwing bombs in the room, but you know, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on those things. Well, I'll defer your first question to Chris yeah. because that's kind of his thing, um, that whole um, the multiverse of Batman. Yeah. Um, but on that topic, uh, the Afrofuturism, one critique I have heard of Hayter's book, and I think you're totally right, is that it, it can a little bit tend towards the Afro-pessimistic um, uh, lens. And so um, uh, I think that is a, a, a great critique of, uh, of what I just said, for sure. <laughs> and I'm willing to accept it, for sure. Yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll address the first thing you asked first, which is, I mean, I'm going to simplify your question slightly, but many different versions of Batman, do we read them as essentialists? If we essentialize them, are we essentially codifying the narrative? Yes. Yes, I think we are. Do I have a solution for that? I mean, I don't. I am not of the opinion that you can just make racism go away by just casting a black man as James uh, as James Bond or uh, or as Batman or as Superman. I understand why people want it. I will be first in line to see Idris Elba shoot people as, as 007. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I hope it happens. But I also did not believe that you could just make a black man president and then racism went away. That seems more important and it didn't quite work. So like, I like surprise, there's still racism in the world. And I, so I don't think it's that easy. I think that as big a fan of comic books as I am, obviously, and everybody else in this room, I, I don't think that, um, I don't think they're magical. I think that they are stories and I think they allow us to like sort of think about ideas. And Danny alluded to the fact that I, my dissertation and a talk that I gave at his school, I talked very much about multiversal theory and uh, the idea that there's multiple inheritance in a narrative. Nobody's read all of Batman. Nobody in the world to living today has read all of Batman. It's currently impossible. I, I entered Batman. The first thing I ever saw was as a little kid, I saw Super Friends. Then I saw Batman 66. And then I started reading comics and I've got a whole bunch of stuff meshed in my mind. But when you look at when you saw Tom and Martha get shot or when you saw like where you enter the narrative doesn't matter. The story's all meshed together in your head. You have your own idea of Batman. And if I suddenly make Batman Denzel Washington for one day, that's never going to overcome the 80 billion other white pictures of Batman that you have in your head. It's just not that simple. Yeah, I guess I guess my point is then wouldn't one solution be to, to narrow the field and say we're talking about this specific version of Batman? I think so. Relationship to race. I think that and, yeah, and I think you can do that. I think that's like like when Danny talks about Superman, he's usually talking about Red Sun, which is one very specific story that is not all of Superman. Like you like when we did that episode, we like let's deconstruct this one story. And I think you can do that. I think it's almost the problem with racial swaps in, in characters. It's what um, every time you do it, you're going to get some pushback just from people who are, that's not my Batman. You can't do that. And waving fists in the air. It happened when I mentioned Eartha Kitt became Catwoman. It happened when Billy D. Williams became a very incidental Harvey Dent. Geeks don't like change. <laughs> and I, so I, so is it worth it? I don't know. Not if it gets in the way, in the way of the story, but I do think you can, I think you can have an interesting thing. And to me, okay, this is probably something I shouldn't admit at the Batman conference. I am not a Batman fan. I love Batman as an idea and everybody around Batman is more interesting than Batman himself. Tim Drake, Dick Grayson, Stephanie, Carrie, Cassandra, Barbara, um, now Duke, every single character around Batman. Batman is this greater idea that like when to me is like, can Batman beat Superman? Of course. Cause Batman has a plan for that. Batman has a plan for everything. Batman is not godlike in his Uber mention as, as, as we were you know, in the last previous previous panel. So to me, the interesting story is, and it hasn't happened yet, but I want to see Duke Thomas existing in the world of Batman as this one black character who has to navigate the um, the 
complex world that Bruce has forced everyone else to live in. That's what makes Tim interesting. That's what make Dixon, make what makes all of them interesting. So I'd rather see that more so than just what if Bruce Wayne's black one day. Yeah, just to be clear, I didn't suggest. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, but I mean, that's the best way I can answer the question. It's the best way I can answer the question for me. But, but can we? So I, maybe, maybe we can't have it both ways. So maybe I, I, I can't stand sort of in both camps here. But uh, uh, I think kind of on the one hand, I, I again as as the as a conservative want to say now, any any ideological approach is always bad because ideologies end up with you know killing lots and lots of people in the long run. And I don't want to see that even in comic books. But uh, uh, so I, yeah, any I would say any attempt to create a meta narrative, whether it's the alt right or or whoever, uh, I'm gonna say eh, let's 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 maybe not try to read the world. As, as, as that sort of thing. But on the other hand, this, this idea of, of whether or not Batman can be black, obviously that, that is a question for Batman fans and DC comic artists. Sure. And I can't answer that. But uh, uh, just increasing the number of minorities in, in the Batman world, even if it's just people walking by on the street, uh, I realize that that's not going to you know, get rid of 80 years of not having that. that will never but it does change. make it better. Yeah, so what, what will it look like 80 years from now? I think you'll have more Duke Thomases right in the world. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So so down the road, if that decision is made mm-hmm. uh, again, if there is an organic way to do it rather than an ideological way to do it, you know, if there's a way to work it into the storylines now mm-hmm. that makes sense and that is being faithful to character and plot and so on. I don't know why you wouldn't do that. And, and, and they figured out to do that in 2017. I mean, like, that's how long it took for them to say, oh, well, why don't we why doesn't he have a, you know, a black sidekick because he's got 18 other sidekicks and so they just like added one all of a sudden and that's who Duke is so just as to, to comments I mean isn't the Miles Morales template for this like the the legacy the superhero whole, you know like I mean Into the Spider-Verse was incredibly well received mm-hmm. you, like that is a movie where I bet a lot of people went on and went like wait a half black half Hispanic Spider-Man not in my town and walked out going like alright Miles like that like a lot of people got behind that. And, and the secret is making a good movie. Right. Well, that was the thing, right? You put money behind it and they said, like, we want to do this and we're going to have Peter Parker, like, usher this guy in and say, you're the man now. Um, isn't that a good template for mm-hmm. a, a way forward, I guess? Sure. And and the Miles Morales comic book has been right. super successful over time. And, and I think that... Um, I was going to push back on you for that very reason, actually. I think that doing something to instigate the conversation is one of the ways in which these comics absolutely could um, could maybe produce those changes in society. Um, and I do wonder, though, if Marvel seems to have less of a problem with this than DC. And I wonder if it's because Marvel started up in, this, in a more kind of radical era, like in the 60s, right? And so they didn't inherit. I think there's the, also the a difference. Of the, the nostalgia isn't so much a problem for Mar- Marvel getting in the way of these. I'll um, tell you not. So just to, for the pushback, because I actually think you're right. But here's the, here's the difference. I never and, and I don't know I don't, who's a Miles Morales fan. Raise your hand. OK. Every time we've mentioned him so far, I've never called him the black Spider-Man. I never think of him that way. I, I There's a guy named Spider-Man. If you say Spider-Man and you just generically say his name, I'll assume you mean Peter. If I want to talk about Miles Morales, I'm, I don't care about the character Spider-Man. I'm a fan of the character Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not there with Duke Thomas yet because he's, he's not he's not around. He hasn't been around long enough for it to really grab me. And the storyline hasn't been great. It's OK. Um, and also the signal is a really stupid name, which is his superhero name. Yep. But but it, it's just dumb. So I hope they come up with something better. But like. I'm not like I don't think of Miles as the black Spider-Man. I think of him as a new character. Um, I do the same. I'm a little more OK calling Kamala Khan Ms. Marvel. But I but I but she's not she's only tenuously connected to any of the other Ms. Marvel characters, you know, to Carol Danvers. So it's to me, she's you know, she's sort of I'm interested in them building on the universe. Sure. And, you know, building diversity. But I think that Marvel has been able to do that by Kamala and Miles are characters first. And Duke kind of feels like an attempt to add a black guy to the Batman story. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it really is a huge I mean, yes, I'm sure there's a corporate edict to diversify from Marvel. I know that they had a marketing campaign based around it, but it felt more organic than just sort of. And look over there. There's my black friend. 
which is how Duke feels to me. Well, I think part of the reason it feels more organic is because of Marvel's just history, mm-hmm. right? It's, it doesn't have the baggage. I think, Matt, yeah. yeah uh, so I have two thoughts. Um, <clears throat> one, uh, kind, of, kind of push back something you said, Coyle. Uh, just getting some clarification you need by as long as they're not ideologically driven. Because uh, my general mentality there would be that, like, to try to find some neutral, non-ideological space. Yeah, so I, I would actually say exactly what you just said, right? The, the corporate memo, put a minority in here, right? That That, that is an ideological thing where versus the, look, we're, we're telling this story and the character is a minority and it works better. And, uh, so again, I think Miles Morales versus... I, I would, yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I think, I don't, I don't want to fall into a dis- discussion of terminology because I wouldn't call that ideology. I would have called that corporate interference. I mean, I would have called that edict. <laughs> I mean, there, it, like, I happen to know that there was an edict. Again, Marvel didn't hide that. They literally... They, they, they had a campaign about diversity. Falcon will now be Captain America and black. Thor will now be a woman. Miles Morales will be an important character. Come out like they, they make posters like so they're not hiding it. Sure. But and some of those stories came off better than others. I thought the Sam Wilson, who's one of my favorite characters as Cap, was awful. I understand why I was supposed to like it. I did not. <laughs> and I've talked about it before. But I, and but I in a good world, I'm allowed to make those decisions. Right. Like like the reason it was hard was because when they did that, how many other options for a black superhero did you have? And that's what you want is you want for corporate to step in and make it universal enough that I'm allowed to not like something. And I don't have to just reading it, keep reading it because it's the only black comic there is. And that's, I, you get there eventually. And I, and I think it's better. I think it's better at Marvel right now than it is at DC. I, I think there are more Marvel options. When um, Scott Peterson kind of came up with Cassandra Kane, he wanted a Batgirl because there was no active Batgirls. And he, it was like Batgirl first and foremost. And he was like, and let's make a reason because there's a lot of white people in the back here. Like, I was just close. <laughs> yeah. So it was like Batgirl first. And then, well, why not non, a non white character? Which I think helps. It never really, be, I don't remember it being, being brought up until like near the end of her series that she actually was, you know, obviously she was Asian, but like it wasn't explicitly oh. in the dialogue until like later on, which, you know, is kind of, might be problematic, but like it was, I think it helped normalize her in a lot of fans' uh, mm-hmm. experiences. In, yeah, so she, I mean, she's a good example, I think. I mean, and and again, we, we were talking about this at dinner um, yesterday, where she was almost an accidental character. I mean, that character was supposed to be Huntress originally, and it, <laughs> crazy behind the scenes stuff happens. But at least, at least in that one, it was natural. I mean, she was a character first, and she doesn't feel like Batman's Asian friend. Yeah. Like what about Batman. I think you had a question over here. I forgot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just I wanted to question the line between a character that is organic and a character that is being introduced by mandate because I think there's no such thing as a character that is organic. Every single character, every single choice about every single character is political and is made Absolutely. by human beings. So I think that the idea that you know, Marvel is an entity that has an easier time because they don't have baggage, no offense. I just can't agree with that because Marvel is made up of human beings mm-hmm. making decisions and so is DC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People at DC can make different decisions. Absolutely. The ones that they have made and the ones they continue to make, which is if a new character arrives, they're generally white because the person hasn't thought to question why they should not be white mm-hmm. or why white is the default. Um, and so I think in that environment, if there are, if a writer does not think of that themselves or an artist does not think of that themselves, then I don't think we should have a problem with an editor saying, have you considered that maybe you should question that this brand oh. new character is white and male? Defend that rather than when we're always asking people to defend why did you make them a woman? Why did you make oh, them a person of color? Yeah, I agree with you 100% that that wasn't my point at all. I I, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I know, yeah. but I think that, I think that you know, a few people together in you know, the last mm-hmm. couple of days, there's been this idea about 
some things kind of develop naturally and other things are forced. And I just, I, I don't think I, to- I totally agree with you. Let me just like um, clarify, because I didn't speak well then, I guess. Um, I, what I'm saying is Marvel's developed these characters at a time when they were making those political decisions. And so the relative ease with which they've diversified their superhero, mm-hmm. uh, whatever stable, um, I think comes out of that material mm-hmm. moment, right? Whereas DC was developing these characters before that political moment. Mm-hmm. And so the baggage that they have is sort of one um, of nostalgia, right? Mm-hmm. And so I mean, I would go back to the show that I have out right now is about Mark Fisher's book, um, Capitalist Realism, which is uh, a little bit about the way in which nostalgia um, uh, preforms your imagination, right? And so DC's writers and, and the, the business of DC is um, dealing with this nostalgia that Marvel came up at a time that was a little bit past. That's what I meant. I totally agree that they're all political decisions. Mm-hmm. I think that those political <laughs> decisions came out of different eras, and that's mm-hmm. one reason that you know you might point to. That, I totally agree with what you said. Yeah. And, the fa- and the fan bases, I, th- I think that <clears throat> so I think the way you phrased it imme- uh, originally, nothing's really organic. 100% agree. Because I don't think it, I don't think it's so much that it is organic. I think that they're able to sell it as such better, and I and I think that's important because it really. I mean, what I said before, I said before, Duke doesn't feel organic to me, and I understand it. Like I understand what's going on, and it still feels like he's. God, God, I'm as liberal as they come. But if somebody says I'm reading Batman and it feels like you're pushing your SJW agenda on me with this Duke Thomas, I get it because it does feel like that. Like, again, I want to like him. It's just that there's not enough there yet. There's not enough there there yet in the way that if a random if if suddenly Kamala Khan has a transgender Asian you know like literally every buzzword friend I'll go okay yeah that scans like I will I would never question it because it feels more natural because the book earned it in a way that Batman hasn't yet and maybe he should have but she does have a transgender friend I just I just <laughs> what, is that what you're going to say oh. <laughs> uh, no uh... So what do you think of Batwing, Duke Thomas? I don't know enough about. I, I, yeah, I, I've, I'm aware of Batwing. I've never read that book. Which one? Well, right. Yeah. There's the because there's one who's from continental Africa itself, right? Yeah. And there's Lucas Fox and there's uh, Lucas. Lucius. 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 Oh, it's Lucas. Yeah, Lucas. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I never read. Yeah, that was during the Batman Incorporated days, and I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Now I'm detective. Yeah, detective. Oh, is he a detective now? Yeah. Okay, I'm not reading. I should look it up. I'll, I'll have to look that. Yeah, he's part of the, the whole group. The belt. Yeah, but they mm-hmm. they kind of dropped that group thing. That was like a year ago. That was a while ago. Yeah, it, it's been like ten issues since we've seen them. He's somewhere. Yeah, he's And that's yeah. the thing with like characters like Duke Thomas. Like you'll have a writer that will kind of you know try and introduce this character, but unless the rest of DC kind of champions them, once like a writer ends their run, everyone kind of defaults to like characters from the animated series or classic era and like no one's really with Scott Snyder not on the bat books no one's really using Duke Thomas now everyone's kind of doing their own thing and if they're bringing back characters it's like oh well Alfred Commissioner Gordon Army Bullock you know every character that was created before uh, the Reagan administration <laughs> that's the pre-formation then, like, that I'm talking about you'll get someone like Tim Drake or Jason Todd who will survive that before the Reagan administration rule but it's Hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I don't know if we have time to talk about this because I'm not sure what yeah, time we're supposed to stop. But uh, uh, I'm I'm sort of curious, and and again, you you guys will, will know this far more than I will. But the the question of organically adding someone to Marvel, if we can use that phrase, which again, you guys are right to, to sort of question whether that's good. Uh, can, we, can we define those two terms? Though? I don't think there is one. I think that's well, what, so, that's so what you're getting at. Artistically correctly, or or yeah. in, in a way that feels natural, but but mm-hmm. as opposed to like like you pointed out, I think it's a, I think it's a myth. I think it's largely a it's a perception problem it, it's just like the the war between marvel and dc doesn't exist nobody who works there cares right. but like you the fan base sees that because i'm a marvel guy because stan said that in a column 40 years ago and like you you become a marvel guy and people internalized it so i think you i think that when stuff fits the internal narrative that sort of has been built 
it just meshes in better. And DC tried for a long time to have gods among men, and Marvel tried for a long time, and this was in the 60s, to have street-level characters who are struggling to pay their rent. So certain things just feel more natural. There's no reason why you can't have a street-level character trying to pay his rent in DC. That's what Kyle Rayner was until he became a god among men. Well, and I guess my, my question was going to be, is it easier to add more characters of whatever type to Marvel just because so much of their 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 bigger stuff is group based, you know, Avengers, uh, X Men, so on. You can you can just add people into that in yeah. a way that DC is Superman, Batman. I mean, yeah, there's the Justice League, but even then, there's Titans, there's Avengers. Outsiders. You've got. I mean, I think there, there are now. I think the again, options are always it, there. I think it just doesn't. I I think it's just a perception problem. Fair enough. Lack yeah. of imagination. Yep. Um, I gather we're out of time. Yep. I, I don't know. So um, yeah, I'm getting the wrap up. Um, can we take one more question? No, I was about to clap for you. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you guys are doing awesome. Uh, thanks for your great question. Just because yeah, it's my time, I have to say, so we've resolved nothing, but... We totally fixed that. Yeah. waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't an organic conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that conversation was very poor. We had thank you, everybody. SJW Hi, it's Mav again. So that was our panel. Um, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed being out there. I hope to do things again. It was nice to meet Coyle. It was, it's always nice to work with Danny. So I would like to definitely thank both of them for doing the show with me. And definitely go and, if you're not already subscribed, subscribe to Danny's Sectarian Review Podcast. And, you know, this is his first time on the show. Give a give a subscribe over to Coyle's podcast, which you can find at The City of Man. They always have interesting things to say, just like we do, or at least I think we do. So I would also like to thank you at home for listening, just like always. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts. And if you don't mind, it'd be really helpful if you went over to iTunes and gave us a five-star review. If you write a little something and give us five stars, that helps other people find the show, moves us up in the rankings. It's magical. It's wonderful. And it helps me sleep through the night. If you want to find more of my ramblings, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Maverick or on my blog at www.chrismaverick.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Vox Popcast or the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com. Next week, we will be doing something a little different. Next week, we will be live at PCA ACA. And for the first time, all four of the hosts, me, Wayne, Katya, and Hannah will all be in the same room. We're going to record a show together. We're going to invite other friends of ours, you know, who've been on the show and who are at this conference. They're going to come and they're going to sit down with us and we're just going to talk about conferences and pop culture and whatever else comes up. It's the kind of thing that we do at an academic conference after hours where we you know, sit around and we have deep, interesting discussions about pop culture. So we invite you to come along and listen to that. I would like to thank you at home once again for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. I am the knight. I am Batman. 